knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and I have Angela Whitehorn, my co-host. Last week, in our beginning portion, we talked just for five, ten minutes about Rachel Hollis and the book Girl, Wash Your Face, and there was so much feedback from that that Angela and I said, we got to do a whole episode on this. And I did not realize until the last couple of weeks how much this book has exploded. It's been on the New York Times bestsellers list number one. I mean, that's huge. It has, it's still on the Amazon number one list for religion and spirituality for who knows how many weeks. I mean, it's that, it's that big. It's been now translated into, I don't know how many languages. I mean, this book is a really big deal. And so before we talk about the book, I, I really had to kind of even research who Rachel Hollis is. And so we just want to talk about who she is a little bit. But before I get to that, I, I want to be really clear on something. This episode is not to mock or to make fun of Rachel or the book at all. And, and we want to be really careful not to do that. Our goal really is to be discerning and to look and say, okay, here's a book that's popular among Christian women. Is this a book that is good for Christian women to be reading? Is it consistent with scripture? So I had you heard of Rachel Hollis before this book? Um, no, I had not heard of her before. The first time that I started hearing about Rachel Hollis was um, I'd say a couple of months ago, we started getting a couple of posts in our Theology Gals group asking, has anyone heard of this book? Everyone that I know is reading it. I'm not sure if it's good. Does anyone know if the, you know, what theology is being taught in here, if any, and is the book worth reading? And so um, at first, this was just a couple months ago, like I said, at first there were a lot of answers. I'm seeing the book everywhere, but I don't know what's in it, and I haven't seen any um, reviews of it. And so little by little, some knowledge has started to trickle in about folks finding out what's in the book. And that has been very interesting to see. This book is my first introduction to Rachel Hollis, I guess, is my answer to that. And I'll say, just going into this, that Angela and I both read the book this week because we don't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. We've gone on her 
social media and, and read some different things and had some concerns. And, but we said, you know, we need to read the book. We can't talk about it if we haven't read it. And we did. Right. We both read the book this week. So just to tell you who she is, if, if you're tuning in, you're like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. This woman is, she really is an amazing entrepreneur mm-hmm. and she's been a motivational speaker and she runs Chic Media and her webpage is kind of like Martha Stewart, but more for people that aren't Martha Stewart. <laughs> right. It's a little bit like a Martha Stewart meets a how to be Martha Stewart. Um, right. If you're just a regular old housewife. Right. Right. And, and so there's some great, I want to say first, I mean, she is an amazing woman and mm-hmm. she's, she's so motivated. And I mean, I'm amazed by the things that she's accomplished at 35 years old. I think she just turned 35. Absolutely. And I think it's a great idea what she has on her site with some of just those practical tips and that sort of thing. But there is a, a lot of motivational speaker and she'll mm-hmm. talk mm-hmm. in, in her book and then also in stuff you'll see on social media. I've watched several of her videos. She'll talk about people like Oprah who've inspired her and mm-hmm. Tony Robbins, who's a motivational speaker. And she says Dave Ramsey too. And so, you know, that this is not the only thing she's done. She's actually done like more than a lot of people do in a lifetime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what, what we want to do is talk first just about girl wash your face. Now, some people, I think you saw this, Angela, where they're like, well, it's not really a Christian book. And, right. Okay. First of all, it's published by Thomas Nelson on the Thomas Nelson website. It's Thomas Nelson is owned by News Corp now, so which owns a lot of different things. And it's not a Christian. It's not. It's definitely not a Christian organization at all. But on their website at Thomas Nelson, it says Thomas Nelson is a world leading publisher and provider of Christian content. So it is specifically that on the Amazon bestsellers list, it's in the religion and spirituality section. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to you know, we're talking about discernment. It's really important to think about, yes, we, we just spoke for a few minutes about how she is a motivational speaker. She runs some conferences that she has created and she's got a lot of wonderful tips. It is very clear from our research and what we've been seeing that um, she is beginning to intentionally target a Christian audience. And I don't think exclusively target a Christian audience, but she certainly wants to pull in the Christian audience. She says quite a few times in her book that she's a Christian. She says it on her social media, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But as far as it not really being a Christian book, I, I have seen that being said in some conversations. And here's what I think about that. That's true. It's not really a Christian book. However, it is being marketed as one. Um, it is got faith mixed in to the book, just the topic in general. And she certainly attempts to capitalize on, on um, being called a Christian. I'll also say in my research, I came across that she has begun writing devotionals. And so it's, it's very clear that she is definitely attempting to pull in the Christian audience with this book. If you go on YouTube, 
you can even find there's there's one in particular on her channel where it says Christian woman sermon. And I, I actually don't I, I'm not actually going to criticize her for preaching or anything like that, because it really isn't a sermon. It's her speaking at a women's conference. And I did watch that. And and that was very similar to the tone of the book. But with a few Bible verses thrown in. We're going to go over some quotes and just kind of compare them to scripture in a minute. But before we do that, I want to just explain an overview of the book. If somebody wants to go out and read the book because they're they're curious, you can do that. But I hope we give you enough that you have a good idea of what's in the book. It is a self-help book. It reminds me very much of like a Tony Robbins. You know, she's got a lot of girl, you can do it, sister, you can do it. There's a really big focus on doing the things that make you happy. Mm -hmm. But one of my biggest concerns is there's a lot of law of attraction within the book. And Angela, why don't you explain what law of attraction is? Sure. Law of attraction comes out of new thought philosophy, and it's basically the belief that by focusing on positive or negative thoughts, people bring positive or negative experiences or things into their life. It's basically that power of positive thinking. Your mind has creative power. Um, If our listeners are familiar with a book, The Secret, that was very popular, I want to say maybe 10 or 12 years ago, and really, it's still probably popular. This book is just kind of the latest version of explaining the law of attraction in that new age philosophy that your mind and your thoughts control what comes to you. And and she pretty much says that, that you, you're going to get what you want if you, if you really want it sort of thing. I think that even within the, I didn't ever read The Secret, but I heard things about it. One of the things she recommends is a vision board. And a vision board is something where you put different pictures and it, it really is a comes right from law of attraction. Anything that you dream, you know, she, in in her book, she says that she wants to be on the cover of Forbes as one of the youngest, I forget, multi-millionaires or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, and that she wants a vacation home in Hawaii. These are her dreams. She's got them on a vision board in her closet so she can look at them and remind herself of them and focus on those things. She also right. talks about saying these positive things to yourself. So I think that even in the way that she talks within the book, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. It's that sort of thing. I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And so there's there's a lot of, of that sort of thing within it. Although it's set up where she'll say a lie, you know. And I'm just going to read right from her in, introduction. This book is about a bunch of hurtful lies and one important truth. The truth You and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. That's the takeaway. It kind of is a summary of the book that you can do it, that you're responsible to fulfill your destiny, that you're responsible to be happy, and you can do all of these things. And the goals really do seem to be throughout the book that this will make you happy and this will help you fulfill your destiny and your dreams. Right, right. Um, and that, that really is back to that basic law of attraction stuff. It's making sure that you focus all of your energy and thoughts on the things that you want 
and the goals that you have. And that is what will cause them uh, to come to fruition. So I think what we'll do is in the same way that Rachel kind of says, here's a lie. And now let, let me tell you what is the truth in the book. I want to just read some different things. And, and we just want to look at what scripture has to say. We want to affirm what scripture has to see, say. Scripture is the word of God. And it is our, our guide for the Christian life. So I'll go ahead and start with one. The precious life you've been given is like a ship navigating its way across the ocean, and you're meant to be the captain of the vessel. Certainly there are times when storms toss you around or cover the deck with water or break the mast clean in half. But that's when you need to fight your way back to throw all the water off the boat bucket by bucket. That's when you battle to get yourself back to the helm. This is your life. You are meant to be the hero of your own story. This doesn't mean you become selfish. This doesn't mean you discard your faith or quit believing in something greater than yourself. What it means is taking responsibility for your own life and your own happiness. Said another way, a harsher, more likely to get me punched in the face way. If you're unhappy, that's on you. Yeah. So one of the things that I notice right off the bat is a focus on happiness and whether or not I am happy. And so, you know, if I contrast that with the Christian faith and what the word tells us um, as believers, we are to have joy, but we know that that is different than a saccharine happiness. We have our joy in the Lord and we are satisfied in him. And so, you know, this quote is talking a lot about jumping back at the helm, being in control of all of these things. And I think that what is going to happen to the person who reads this and is dealing with depression or is going through a terrible time with their children or someone that they love has just died, What happens when you are confronted with the reality that I am not in control? This teaching doesn't have anything in it that can actually encourage me when I'm faced with the reality that I am not truly in control. And it neglects that that the Lord is sovereign, that Mm -hmm. he is in control, that even when those bad things happen, we have so many passages in scripture that show us that he takes something really difficult and he uses it for good, for his glory and for our good. And, and we aren't in control. And I think one of, one of the biggest problems is Angela was talking about the importance of joy in the Lord versus this happiness we're not told to look for happiness in ourselves, but rather for joy in the Lord. And the reason why we can have joy in the Lord is because of his love for us, his faithfulness towards us, the grace that he has lavished upon us because we know he is God, because he is good and perfect. And I do fail. And she does have some quotes about failure, which we'll get later on. But I think one of the things that it misses, even later on, we talk about fail is a neglect of understanding the law and the gospel. And it's more failures. Like I failed today instead of, okay, I have sin and I need to repent and look to the cross because then I will have hope and I will have joy in the Lord. 
Absolutely. Amen. I think that is a fantastic lead into the next quote that that I have that I want to talk about. She says, I studied the gospel and finally grasped the divine knowledge that I am loved and worthy and enough as I am. I just want to read some scripture to start with to respond to this quote. The first scripture I want to talk about is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. This is telling us what the gospel is. And so I just want to say loud and clear, the gospel is not that you are loved and worthy and enough as you are. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for you because you have a sin problem and you fall short of the law of God's holy and perfect law. And Jesus Christ lived a perfect life to fulfill all of God's law on your behalf because you could not do it for yourself. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and he rose again on the third day. And that's what this passage in 1 Corinthians is telling us. This is what the gospel is. I just want to um, read one other scripture about this. This is Titus 3, 4 through 8. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that when those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, these things are excellent and profitable for people. And so I I really love how this passage contrasts with this quote about studying the gospel and grasping that I am loved and worthy and enough just as I am. This passage tells us directly that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. He saved us because of his own mercy. And mercy means that he's withholding a punishment from us that we deserve. That means just as I am is not enough, is not worthy. Just as I am deserves his wrath. And so What I love about this passage is that it tells me at the same time what Jesus did for me and why he had to do it for me. And what a great Savior we have that he did that. That is um, where our hope lies. That is where our joy comes from. And at the end of the passage, it tells us about the reason is so that um, we can devote ourselves to good works. These are excellent and profitable for people. Good works that flow out of our salvation in the Lord, that's what we're prepared for. It's not something that we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and white knuckle our way through and force because we're in control. It's because the Lord died for us and saved us and called us to himself that we're able to live for him and live in righteousness. 
And throughout this book, I really didn't see any recognition of sin and even understanding the law, that the law shows us our sin, but the law also shows us how we live in gratitude because of what Christ has done. Let me read another little section. Some of these are going to sound really similar. In fact, I'm going to read two just because they kind of go together and it's the same message and it'll kind of give you an idea of what's in the book. The first says, you must choose to be happy, grateful, and fulfilled. If you make that choice every single day, regardless of where you are or what's happening, you will be happy. And real quickly on that one, it doesn't talk about what fulfilled really means except for fulfilled in being happy because I've accomplished these different things. The second one says, I figured out what makes me happy and I do those things. This seems like the most obvious idea in the world, but at the end of the day, very few people intentionally choose the things that bring them joy. No, I don't mean that you can build a life around massages and lavish dinners, or maybe you can, fancy pants. I mean that you should spend more time doing things that feed your spirit, more long walks with your dog, less volunteering for that thing you feel obligated to do but actually hate. You are in charge of your own life, sister, and there's no one thing in that that you're not allowing to be there. Think about it. And this is kind of just more of the same. And even when she talks about joy there, I mean, I think our joy is is in the Lord. I think a lot of things in her book are typical of what we see just in American culture. I so often I'll hear people say, I just want my kids to be happy. And that's something I've never said because it's actually really not on my list of things I want for my kids. I want my kids to look to Christ, to, to repent of their sins and have saving faith. Happiness is fleeting. Most of the happiness that we think of, worldly happiness. And I knew somebody that her father told her her whole life, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. And she made a decision that was just a horrible sin. And her father came to her and said, what you're doing is wrong. And she said, but dad, don't you want me to be happy? And the father told me the story. And he said, I didn't know what to say, because I think I made a mistake by saying that to her her whole life. And we don't even see that in scripture, that this is, this is a goal to be to be happy. And I, and I can also tell you those things that you think are going to make you happy, instead of looking to Christ, they might make you happy for a little while, but you can still feel empty at the end of the day. The other thing is this is just more law of attraction stuff. And when she says, you're in charge of your own life, sister, and there's not one thing in it that you're not allowing to be there. Well, let me just tell you right now, I really don't think that the illness that is plaguing my body right now is because I'm allowing it there. Amen. Okay. I would get rid of it yesterday if I could. And so I actually resent that a little bit because, and even Angela, guess what? Losing one of my close friends to cancer and having to have the the sorrow in my life over her loss, I didn't choose for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you certainly didn't cause it by thinking about cancer, and neither did she. Suffering is something that we know from God's word we can expect just as a matter of the human condition because of the fall, but then also as believers. Yes. We know that we can expect suffering because, first of all, suffering for Christ and for his sake, 
but also because this world is not our final home. This is this world is not the end situation. We are not creating heaven on earth here. We are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth where God is going to make all things new and perfect and it's going to be wonderful and we will no longer experience suffering. Therily means that in this life it is different. Right. And I actually have a passage I wanted to just read a section of real quick from 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. And in it, he's talking about hardships that they suffered. And he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. And he ends with this. But this happened, that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And that's a verse that I thought of so often as I read through this, that here it even says one of the reasons that they faced hardships that they suffered is that they would learn to not stop relying on themselves yeah. and learn to rely on the Lord. And I fear this whole book is rely on yourselves. Well, I, I'm seeing all through scripture, don't rely on yourself, <laughs> rely on the Lord. I've got a quote here that is just speaking about not relying on yourself. I want to think about relying on the Lord and how do we do that? What's a way that we do that? Well, we've got a quote here. This is coming out of each of her chapters. She sets up as this is the lie and explains the lie. And then she finishes out each chapter with some practical steps for this is how I overcame that lie. And so from one of her chapters, one of her recommendations is an encounter with a guru. Many times I need the insight of a podcast, a book, or a conference to gain perspective. If you wonder if you are muting a side of yourself or if there are things you know you want to work on, start consuming content that speaks to that specific area. You may not adopt every word of what you hear or read, but you'll certainly garner a bit of wisdom to help you with your season. And so when I read this quote, I immediately thought about all of these sources where she's looking to glean wisdom. And as believers, where we go to glean wisdom is the word of God. I want to back up just a little earlier in the same chapter where she gives this this advice. There's a small quote. She says, no one person can be your source for all the answers, but you can glean a handful of powerful thoughts here and a dash of insight there. And so what I think about that is that God's word tells us that he absolutely is our source for all of the answers. Proverbs 1, 7 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. And, you know, that's not just telling us that a fool is somebody who doesn't like to learn. A fool is someone who does not recognize that the fear of the Lord is the source of where our knowledge starts. And so I see foolishness in this quote and this, this thought that, um, hey, when I need a little extra wisdom, wisdom, let me go to a guru. So let's talk about scripture and why that. Adding to the verse you just said, I wanted to say real quick, even, even trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just want to say that reading this book 
every issue that I came across, it was so wonderful to me to have the Lord bringing scripture to our minds. I know we talked about different things throughout the week as we were reading how wonderful his word is to give us the answers that we need and that the Lord brought scripture to our minds to say, okay, this contrasts with what is being said here. And I know that the word of God is truth. Um, So I've got 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Adequate and equipped for every good work. That tells me that for a believer in the Lord, the Bible tells me everything that I need to know to do what he wants me to do. And so I, I look at this list of what the, the Word of God is profitable for. It's for teaching. It's for telling me what I need to know. It's for reproof. It's, it's for telling me um, if I've gotten something wrong. For correction, it's for telling me how to fix it and get it right. And for training in righteousness, it's for telling me how to keep on keeping on in obeying the Lord and what he wants me to do. And it's sufficient. It tells me all that I need to know. Yes. Well, I have another quote here. And and this one is one that that concerned me. And I think it fits a little bit in with the one that we talked about last week. She says, the second step is recognizing that just because you believe, it doesn't mean it's true for everyone. In so many instances, judgment comes from a place of feeling as though you've somehow got it all figured out when they do not. Judging each other actually makes us feel safer in our own choices. Faith is one of the most abused instances of this. We decide that our religion is right, therefore, every other religion must be wrong. Within the same religion, or heck, even within the same church, people judge each other for not being the right kind of Christian, Catholic, Mormon, or Jedi. I don't know the central tenet of your faith, but the central tenet of mine is love thy neighbor, not love thy neighbor if they look and act like you do, not love thy neighbor so long as they wear the right clothes and say the right things, just love them. So she she believes in a type of religious pluralism. And we saw that with the one that we dealt with last week where it said, this is the day the Lord is made. And she said, it doesn't matter if you're what religion you are, just as long as you worship and celebrate this day. And okay, we know from the word of God and actually each one of those religions even themselves says, so if I'm a Christian and believe the Bible to be true, then I must believe that it is the only way we are told that that Christ, he is the only way to salvation. The other thing is, too, when she said the central tenet of mine is love thy neighbor, it actually is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and mm-hmm. your neighbor as yourself. And so understanding it's actually not just loving your neighbor, but loving God and your neighbor. And we know that that's that's a summary of the Ten Commandments. And I wanted to mention a few times in the book, she does take the Lord's name in vain. I was a little bit surprised about that, but just a, a little warning there. This right here is 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 concerning because, because I believe that Christ is the only way. And John tells us that, that Christ is the only way to the Father. Because I believe that, my friends that are other 
religions, I am going to judge them. There actually is biblical judging that happens. I am going to judge them that they're believing something wrong, and I'm going to share with them the gospel. And we ought to do that. Amen. She's got a quote in her book where she says, whatever standard you've set for yourself is where you'll end up unless you fight through your instinct and change your pattern. I wanted to read that one jumping off of what you just said, because we know as believers that we don't, in fact, set the standard. Um, The Lord does. Um, Just as you said, Jesus is the only way, the only way to the Father. And the reason for that is because the Lord does set the standards. And we know that because of sin and because of the original sin um, from Adam, we have fallen short. And so it actually doesn't matter what standards we make up. What matters is the Lord's standards. And so this part about fighting through your instincts and changing your pattern, we believe that only the Lord changes hearts. Regeneration is a gift from the Spirit. And that without the Lord changing my heart, I can do nothing to please him. She she has a focus on goals. And there's something that I wanted to say about goals, but also about judging, because I just read the section on judging. There, There's a chapter that deals specifically with judging. And some of what she says is actually not wrong. I mean, she talks about it's it's not, fr- she doesn't say this, I'm going to say it. It's not fruitful to judge people for these reasons. And, and it is true that there are ways that we should not be judging people. Mm-hmm. And making judgments upon them, you know, for what, how much money they have or a a whole list of things. Sure. But scripture actually does call us to some different kinds of judging, Mm -hmm. Um, judging the truth. We're even told to judge our brother if they're in sin, in unrepentant sin. So there is a, there is a kind of judging that is good. There's a kind of judging that is bad. And I want to say the same thing about goals because I want to read just a, a little bit of a, of a quote here. She's talking about goals. I cannot stress this enough when it comes to goal setting. It's imperative that you write everything down. And she talks about goals. It, and there's actually good goals, okay? My husband is, he's just amazing and he is a goal person. And he has a little section on his phone. He made this up years ago. He's got faith, family, fitness, food, and I, there, I think there's another one. And he'll set different goals, like for eating more healthy, exercising more regularly, things to do with the family, goals that he has, like, you know, reading the Bible through twice this year, or whatever those goals are. So there are appropriate goals. The reason we're taking issue with what she talks about is because of the relying on yourself, the law of attraction, the things that she's using to to acquire those goals that are contrary to what we're finding in scripture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Rachel's got a quote and and we're going to start moving into social media. And I think this is a good segue because she's got a quote from her book. The definition of worship is the feeling of expression or reverence for a deity. And I just want to read a little from the Westminster Confession of Faith about what we believe about worship. We believe the light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all, is good and does good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart 
and with all the soul and with all the might, but the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. Religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and to him alone, not to the angels, saints, or any other creature. And since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other, but of Christ alone. And what that relates to is, um, of course, this is what we believed, believe as Reformed um, people about worship of the Lord. And um, this relates to um, just moving into the social media quotes. We talked very briefly last week about um, a post that Rachel Hollis has made, where um, the very first sentence of the post is, this is the day that the Lord has made. This was posted on on the Lord's Day. Um, And the very next is, it doesn't matter what your religion is or who you worship. What matters is that you recognize that this day is a gift. And so we know that that is not true. It's critical who you worship because the light of God's revelation tells us that there is one God and worship is due to only him and no one else. And we're to be worshiping um, at that particular post. We didn't really talk about this last week, but that particular post was talking about going uh, to work out and worship, listening to secular music, all of these different things that you could do. Just go, you know, do whatever you want to do. And we, we of course, believe in the regulative principle and that God is to be worshiped how he says that he is to be worshipped, not according to our imaginations. Um, Right. We don't worship however we want. God has defined what is worship and and how we are to do it. And I think her her definition of worship, though, really is what we've seen worship become in American evangelicalism, that it really Uh is about achieving a feeling and where it's really to benefit us instead right. of understanding that we are worshiping worshiping the god of the universe who sent his son for us and he's told us to worship him and we worship him out of obedience and out of love for him not not so we can get a feeling of course within worship in within some of those parts of worship they are means of grace and the lord works through them in our lives. And so that absolutely happens. And you may experience emotions, but that is not one of the definitions as a result, but it's not one of the definitions of what worship is according to scripture. Right, exactly. So I'm going to jump, we just want to go through just a few things from her social media. Just, I spent a lot of time on her social media this week and she's got a lot of followers. I know that a lot of you have friends that are reading this book. And, you know, it's really my hope that this will give you some things to have conversations with your friends, to make sure that they understand the gospel, to make sure they understand the law and the gospel, to make sure they they understand the sovereignty of God and the way that the Lord works in our lives. So this one right here, she says, you're strong enough to handle this season. Do you hear me? You are strong enough. For my sisters out there who are walking through illness, divorce, trauma, pain, loss, fear, uncertainty, please hear me. 
you are going to get through this. I know it hurts. I know it's hard. I know there are days when you want to give up. I know you're mad at God. I know you're mad at yourself. I know you let a thousand what ifs race through your mind each day. I also know that you are going to come out on the other side of this stronger, braver, wiser than you were before. Just like a muscle is only as strong as the weight it can carry. We are only as strong as the things that challenge our strength. Keep your head up, queen. Even in the hardest season, you still deserve to wear your crown. And again, this this one right here kind of felt kind of stabbed me a little bit. Guess what? I don't know if I'm going to get through this, what I'm going through right now. I don't. And the Lord hasn't promised me that I will. But I can hold on to things that God's word has promised me. And I want to read a couple of verses just so you see the difference. Second Corinthians 1 through 3 through 7, for we for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And we, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. But it's not because the comfort doesn't come from working through it and getting through those hard times. It comes because the verse that I read earlier, because we learn to rely more on the Lord mm-hmm. and less on ourselves. Amen. Absolutely. I want to talk about one that's going to lead us into talking about why we can rely on the Lord. I came across a post on um, social media that had a video clip of Rachel speaking at her conference. And in this video, There is a part where she says, and the words also flash on the screen, you are the only person who is in charge of what happens next. Unfortunately, this actually is a lie. That is not the truth. We are not in charge of what happens next. The Lord most definitely is. And this is why we can trust him, because he is sovereign. Let me read to you from Daniel 4.35. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is absolutely in control and he is sovereign. Nothing happens on this earth to you or to people that you know. Nothing is happening in our lives that he is not sovereign over and that he is not in control over. I am most definitely not in control. And do you know what? That gives me comfort. That tells me that I can trust him. If I am actually in, in charge and in, in control of what happens next, that gives me reason to fear. That's not comforting at all. And so this is why we can trust the Lord, because we serve a God who can care for our needs, who is able to call sinners to himself. It is not up to us. Yeah. And when you were reading that, Angela, I was thinking of all these different things in my life over the last few years, specifically my good friend laying in hospice 
with cancer, my mother-in-law laying in hot in her hospice bed with cancer. I had no control of what happened next. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you. And they, they both died. I had no control over that. Mm-hmm. And n- no matter what we did, we tried, you know, they tried all the treatments in the world. They weren't even in control of what happened next. They didn't want to die. They wanted to live longer. And, and we can have so many different things in our lives that happen that we don't have control over. And like Angela said, I have so much comfort knowing that the Lord is in control and that I'm not. I'm glad that he's the one in control, that I'm not the one in control, because he has all wisdom and goodness and love and grace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so yeah. we should be comforted that he is in control. And guess what? Even when things happen that we're not thrilled about, we can still find comfort that he's in control, that he knows better, that his plan is is better. Absolutely. And you know what? He's not just in control. He is good. And so his plan is a good plan. And we know that he will cause his plan to come to pass. Isaiah 46.10 tells us, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. And because we know that he's a good God, that should give us comfort. I want to read something from the Westminster Confession because this is something that's been of great comfort to me. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. And he ordains whatsoever comes to pass. And then another one, and I hope it, I just want to say, if you are somebody that's suffering right now, that you have a, a family member or a close loved one that is got a life-threatening illness, or maybe you have a rough marriage right now, or a, a rebellious child, I want to read Heidelberg Catechism 1, because this also talks about the sovereignty of God. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for him. That's my comfort right there. That's my comfort right there. Not that I'm in control of what happens. Amen. There's a one that's been going around quite a bit. I've seen it quite a bit shared on social media. And she said, I love Jesus and I cuss a little. I love Jesus and I drink alcohol. I love Jesus and some of my best friends are gay. I love Jesus and I adore hip hop music. I love Jesus and I totally read romance novels where vampires fall in love with librarians or school teachers or female detectives with a tortured backstory. If you're looking for someone who's perfect, you've come to the wrong gal. If you're looking for a community of people who are just like you, you've come to the wrong tribe. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I am a Christian, but I fully love and accept you and want to hang out with you. If you're a Christian or Muslim or Jewish or Buddhist or Jedi or love the opposite sex or love the same sex or love Rick Springfield circuit, 
1983. Not only that, but I think the ability to seek out community with people who are different from me makes me a stronger version of myself. Okay, let me just first say, we should love our neighbor, whether they're Jewish or Buddhist or Muslim or Mormon or any of that, a homosexual. We we should love them. We should love them enough to share the gospel with them, in fact. Absolutely. Um, I love Jesus and I do this. He's kind of a weird list of, of what, maybe it's the things that people think, well, Christians don't do this thing, but I still think it's missing kind of the law mm-hmm. and the gospel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you just said it's kind of a weird list. I want to talk about that for a second. I think this list mixes some things that we as believers would maybe say are sin, some things right. that we would say are Christian freedom, and some things that we would say aren't even relevant. And yes, <laughs> this is what I think is going on here. Um, we haven't really talked about this yet, but discussing this book with some of our friends this week, one of our Theology Gals admins who is going to be writing a review, I love her reviews. She writes reviews um, of books. Yeah, let's um, do a plug real quick. Why yeah, is in um, her eyes, um, Rebecca Womble? Yeah. Go and check out her site because she's got Absolutely. lots of reviews. I we'll love her reviews. In the episode yeah. notes. She has fantastic discernment and the way that she writes just tends to get right to the heart of what the issue is. And I always feel like she notices things that other reviewers aren't talking about. So one of the things about this book is just that the tone is very, hey, girlfriend, we're pals, we're besties, and it's very disarming. I think. And so that there's something about that writing style, you know, where she threw in whether you like, what was it? Rick, Ash- Rick Astley from the eighties, Rick Springfield, Rick Springfield. <laughs> oh man. It doesn't matter it, if you like that. Great. Fine. That's, that is not something that we would say is a judging kind of issue. We wouldn't even say alcohol is a judging kind of issue. Um, taking the Lord's name in vain. We would say that's against God's holy law. So it's mixing things that don't matter in in with things that matter very much. And I believe that that's going back to that style that's very sort of disarming. And that is something that we can be alert to um, just in general as Christians, as we are reading things that are marketed to us, be on your guard, note the tone, note the style, are things being mixed in and conflated and lifted to the same degree, to the same level? Is it really the same taking the Lord's name in vain and listening to a secular song. I don't believe it is. Right. And we're we're going to have to wrap up because of time right now. And I just, there's a few things I wanted to say. The fact that so many girls in our group are coming and saying, all my Christian friends are reading this. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's number one on religion and spirituality, I think points to the fact that people do not know their Bibles. If you know God's word, and continue to study God's word, you should be able to pick up a book like this and recognize right away, this is not sound consistent with God's word. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've talked before about our goals with this podcast. And the, the first one is to encourage women in the study of God's word. And one of them is also in discernment. But the way that we are discerning is by knowing God's word. You don't, you don't need to read this book. I mean, if you want to read it because you're curious or something, I suppose you can, but we both did. But what I really want to encourage you to do is to know God's word. Everything you need for life and godliness is in those pages. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, what you're talking about there is just, you know, the message that's in this book is very popular. It's very accepted out there. And, but what we want to talk about and what we want our listeners to know is that um, even though it's a built-in temptation that we have to look to ourselves. I mean, that is our condition from the fall is that we want to save ourselves. We want to earn our salvation, but what we are to do is to look to Christ and not ourselves. And that is, that is the very basic of faith that we were talking at the, about at the beginning of our episode is trusting, resting and receiving in Christ and his finished work. That's where we look when we're down and it's hard and um, things aren't going well, and we're sad, we're depressed, someone that we love is sick or dying, we look to Christ. That's where our hope is. We do not look to ourselves. That is not where our hope is. Yeah, scripture actually says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Mm -hmm. Exactly what Angela was saying. We fix our eyes on the Lord because of what he's done for us, because of we are united to him. He is sanctifying us. He's working in our lives. And Angela talked about our natural inclination to look to ourselves. That's why this is popular. Absolutely. That's why this is popular because this is a message. I don't think that there was anything in this book that I went, whoa, like that's so amazing right there. And let, let me say, it's not because I don't think Rachel's amazing. I think she's amazing in a lot of ways. She's but very I talented. Think, right. I think this is, it was just a lot. It was, I think it's what a lot of people want to hear. Absolutely. You can do it. Mm-hmm. You can do it. And what they need to hear is you actually can't do it. I, I think about an email I got quite a while ago, earlier in the podcast, and I think I even mentioned it, Ashley, and I mentioned on the podcast, somebody said, can you guys talk about this thing that people say all the time, God won't give you more than you can handle? Because mm-hmm. that's not true. And when we said, guess what? God does give you more than you can handle. And it's in that verse that I just told you where they said that they despaired. Mm-hmm. But the reason why is that they would stop relying on themselves so much and learn to rely more on the Lord. Absolutely. We had so much written down, and I do have a couple reviews of the book, and I wrote down the end. There's one from Alyssa Childers. It's an excellent review of the book. I'll link it in the episode notes, but she she ended her review with, rest from striving, my friend. Yes, wash your face, take care of yourself, make good choices, but know who you are in Christ. If you let this truth become the foundation of how you see the world, you will be content to glorify him in every situation, whether you're cleaning bathrooms or relaxing at your beach house, changing diapers or crushing your career goals. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a great review and yeah, highly recommend. Completely agree. We said in the beginning that it, it wasn't our goal to mock Rachel or anything like that. And actually, I think that we should all pray for Rachel. Absolutely. Amen. We need to pray for the gospel to take root in her heart, for her to find rest in looking to Christ. We need to pray for that for ourselves, for um, for our friends who listen to Theology Gals. We never outgrow our need for the gospel. And just as we said earlier, the gospel is not, I'm okay, I'm fine. Just the way I am. I need the Lord. I, I can't do it, and I need him to do it for me, and praise God he did. Right. Without him, my condition is helpless, but now I have hope. 
Well, thank, thank you everyone for joining us. I hope this will be helpful to those who've been asking us about the book. There's a couple of reviews that are supposed to be coming out. And as they come out, I will go back into the episode notes and add them. So I'm not sure what re- what all reviews will be there when I publish the episode, but check back in the next couple of weeks. There's supposed to be two more reviews by Gals We Know, and they'll probably be excellent because both of these gals really do an excellent job. Well, we appreciate so much you all joining us, and we'll see you next week.